following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your Sherpa, upon Thunder Road. Thanks for the suggestion, Jeff. Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? I'm grand. If, so if you're the Sherpa, are we climbing up the, the mountain that is Thunder? It, it certainly feels that way. It, like, it feels arduous. It feels like I'm being battered with the elements every week on uh, having to watch. Having to record the show is pleasant. It's the equivalent of base camp, you know, <laughs> where we take stock and can we go any further? <laughs> um, but the actual climb is, is getting more and more arduous. It's looking like a, um, a steep L hill in front of us at this very moment. It absolutely is, you know, especially on these uh, second half of a double shot taping weeks. <laughs> Which we'll, we'll get into, but no need to, to rush into that. I alluded to at the top there, uh, our good friend Jeffrey uh, from Strong Style Story. I think I maybe start off the show with, with a big plug there. Uh, yours truly made, uh, I made my first appearance on the Strong Style Story podcast on this very network, where uh, myself and Jeff talked about the entirety of the Great One Climax, G1. Um, from this year, which just concluded this past weekend. Uh, obviously, it is, uh, would you say, Lee, conservatively a thousand miles apart from the kind of wrestling we normally cover? I mean, it's not that different. <laughs> well, it is, I suppose, it is technically wrestling. I mean, it, as it, well. It happens in a square, there's ropes. Yeah, I, I watch it on my computer. There's a, ref- uh, there's a referee. Yeah, I, I, in, in some very broad and existential ways, they are similar, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we spent nearly an hour and a half uh, talking it out, both the blocks, the, the whole thing in exhaustive detail. Um, and, and you can check it out. Uh, if you're already subscribed to the whole PWOM network, boom, it's already in your feed. Just scroll back to uh, Monday night. Um <laughs> <laughs> when when it came out i was trying to think god lee the, the fucking days are just we're uh the other thing i i, it had, <laughs> I recorded um the show with jeff uh about two hours after we all found out uh, in ireland that we were going back into lockdown again so i was in a tizzy uh, mm-hmm. should we say and then i did that and then i woke up this morning and i had to go for an eye test and then i was straight back 
and I had three hours of, of online classes for college and then straight on the call to you. I know you so have to talk to me. I Up is down, black is white. I don't know what the fuck is going on this evening. Um, I'm very thankful that a, a podcast where I can indulge in some libations has come up in my schedule for this week. I have another hectic night tomorrow night. So Thursday, I might just book myself in for dinner and a cry in the evening. <laughs> Well, that will have been your first full day of lockdown. Yeah. Not, not to get yeah. too heavy on you, dude. <laughs> yeah. It is, in fact, a lockdown, baby. It was funny. Like, I was downtown when the announcement happened, and I came in the door with a, I tweeted out, like, a shopping bag full of booze. <laughs> uh, I just found out that I, it had been leaked to the press that it was going to be level five for six weeks full yeah. lockdown, like it was in the bad old days. Um, so, yeah. Uh, look, apart from all that doom and gloom, how are you, pal? We've barely got a chance to chat because we've both been so busy. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm personally okay at the moment. A few bits going on in my life outside of wrestling, and that's not great. But should we won't get into that. But um, yeah, yeah Look, no, the male stripper industry has been hit as hard <laughs> as any, and we understand that. Myself and sorry, oh, you prefer exotic dancer? Yes, sorry. I was going to say myself and Buff Bagwell share uh, similar vocations. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, now look, we'll, we'll get through this. It's not a very nice time, but we'll get there in the end. And hopefully we all get to have yeah. a normal Christmas in Ireland. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I kind of um, was saying to a few of our friends in, in a group chat last night. Like the positive thing I'm trying to focus on. And I suppose it's worth bearing in mind for anybody else out there who is, you know, there's a lot of countries that are either going back into lockdown or are teetering on the precipice of one. Mm-hmm. And the thing I'm trying to focus on right now before maybe I, I, I hit the cruel rocks of reality is like I got through the first one. And I had no idea what to expect from that because it's never happened in my lifetime. I'm going to be able to get through a second one because I did the first one, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, like, this time I'm able to brace myself. This time there is a carrot on the stick that, like, if we all behave ourselves in Ireland, we might get, a like, a something resembling a Christmas. Um, but, yeah, I like, and I've kind of, you know, I, I've been pretty much living just short of a total lockdown lifestyle anyway since February. <laughs> Like, regardless, I've been extra safe, regardless of what the levels are. So it's not that huge a change. It's just, it feels intimidating when you see all the news come out. Yeah. And you see the uh, the police back on the streets and things like that. Yeah, but, look, I, look. I, I, still, I still go to work every day. It's For yeah. me, it's lockdown with a twist. In, in that sense, mm. I'm uh, yeah. an essential worker, as we call them. Yeah. I actually got my state letter that I'm allowed to do essential travel beyond the borders. Um, which is which is I felt very official um, but like I can't think because my work have actually told me just to work from home I can't think of any reason I'd ever use the letter apart from taking the absolute piss <laughs> I mean you could run a wrestling show would it? yeah yeah I want to go do my shopping in a different town today <laughs> um but anyway, look, we'll 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 pivot hard away from that the, the the shite that we are mired in in reality and retreat into our little cubby hole of, of wrestling from twenty years ago. And as we do every couple of months on the show, Lee, we reached out to the Thunder Buddies for any questions or comments they might have that we could talk about before we get into this show, which was a bit rough, um, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so the uh, like, and as per usual, the Thunder Buddies came up trumps uh so we've got five questions here by my count um 
And our first one comes from friend of the show and my erstwhile uh, Link to the Cast co-host, Jack Lazell, who asks us who our favourite dressers were, were or are, in the world of professional wrestling. And he doesn't mean ring gear. So just their everyday clothing. Everyday clothing, or perhaps, I, I think he would probably include, like, you know, if they're wearing street clothes in a segment or in a okay. ring, you know. Any sartorial choice that isn't their actual ring gear. Well, I mean, a strong contender straight away from WCW has to be Big Papa Pump and his jeans and chainmail um, headgear. Yeah, for sure. A- like, anytime you see uh, Steiner cutting a promo with just the headgear, a pair of shades, just nothing but a pair of jeans on, there you go. Yeah. It's one of those things that, like, it's such... It, it's one of my, my favourite things to think about wrestling where there are, are fashion choices made that would be utterly... Like, people would be calling the police if they saw someone like this in real life walking down the street. Or they might vote for them. And yet, in in wrestling, you know, a segment opens, and like you say, Scott Steiner is there with his his shades, his chain mail, he's shirtless, he's flexing, and he's got, like, either jeans or, like, his his, his tights on. And, like, you just kind of go with it because it's wrestling, <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's very rarely, like, a, a look so insane that you go, even for wrestling, that's too much, you know? Um, yeah, Big Papa Pump is a strong shout. Like, obviously, you've got your classics, the Four Horsemen, um, you know, looking dapper as fuck. Is it, like, mm-hmm. an unironic selection for best dressers? One of the, you know, we're reaching outside WCW a bit here, but one of the greatest of all time that Jack immediately brought up to me after he asked the question is one Dave Batista. Oh, God, yeah. His run, his heel run towards the end. Some of the, yeah. uh, some of his clothing choices were just, yeah. Mwah. The, uh, the, the white turtleneck and white pants ensemble. The, um, the double denim. Mm-hmm. The leather waistcoat with no shirt on underneath. It, it wasn't there one from, I think, Smackdown, like, during his baby face run? Where he had like the pole neck. Uh, I think he was. Was it? Was he giving up one of the titles? Oh, I have vague memories of that. Yeah, like he. It, it, there isn't a bad one in the bunch, you know. <laughs> and again, like, and again, he did the whole four horsemen thing as well of wearing a suit for a long time. The evolution run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, oh, um, speak. Speaking of suits, we have to mention John Cena, his WrestleMania Hall of Fame suit. Yeah. And it kind of, um, in another, like, on the opposite end of the scale in some ways, won Michael P.S. Hayes and his WrestleMania weekend suits. <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, some some bold choices, shall we say, by Mr. Uh, P.S. Yeah, what is it The Rock once said during a Hall of Fame speech that he looked like the, uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? <laughs> He's wearing this, like, he had a big white fedora with a giant feather hanging out of it and everything. Oh, my God. Would um like, incredible? Would I suppose this would be more gimmick? Would be Ted DiBiase and his million dollar suit? Yeah, yeah, that's a classic. I'm trying to think. Like, oh, do you remember? Was it a Hall of Fame or was it like one of the wrestling weddings where like Tommy Dreamer wore a tiger print tuxedo? I do not remember that at all. I think I think it was Dreamer, 
And I want to say either it was a Hall of Fame or it was, I don't know why I'm specifically thinking of this wedding, the Teddy Long Crystal Marshall wedding. Oh, I, I want to... I, I can imagine them doing it on the TV show, all right, but Jesus, I have no yeah. memories of that. I have a, just a vision of it in, in my head. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, if there's anyone I've seen, like, any wrestler I've seen in, in real life that has just incredible... Oh, Jeff Jarrett. Um, like, I saw him at a, um, at a hotel Con, bar. The, yeah, the hotel bar. I was staying at the WrestleCon Hotel in Dallas. And I saw him and Trevor Lee at the bar. Uh, and this was still, you know, when when Jeff imbibed. And he was, like, in the full... It was like he'd been plucked out of 2000 Nitro. Like, it was the <laughs> chain and the silk shirt. <laughs> It was, it was just, you had to stand back to take it in. Like, it was incredible stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to think, of, is there anyone we've seen at OTT that, like, just really stood out? But I don't think there is. No, because everybody usually comes, like, it's not, because it's such a kind of, I don't want to say low rent, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not mm. somewhere where, like, WWE, where they, they all dress at least smart, casual, come on backstage. Like, people are showing up in jeans and hoodies at OTT shows. Like, there's nobody... Yeah, there's nobody I can necessarily think of. Um, fuck, there's, there's definitely some more. I, I was trying to... Do you know who always, like, whenever he's on, um, like, WWE pre-shows and stuff like that, who has always turned out very well, is Booker T. Oh, yeah, he, he definitely had a couple of um, choice shirts, shall we say, towards the end of the Nitro era. Yeah, when he was doing his uh, the rock like gimmick. Yeah, and actually speaking of uh, members of that family, Stevie Ray during his run on commentary, I seem to recall having some fabulous shirts. Uh, and on the the worst end of the scale, like on also at the commentary table in WCW, Mark Madden. <laughs> yeah, that that's another. See, uh, see, I'm kind of torn on that because that's like kind of gimmicky, kind of. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I don't think we really missed out on anyone, did we? No, there's definitely be a few more, and by all means, tweet us at WCW Thunderpod with the ones we've missed. I'm sure, like no one else, there's there's absolute howlers out there. Uh, I know people are probably going to think of the, um, do you know the like the the, <laughs> the the Triple H biker jacket denim vest combo that made him look like a hundred pounds heavier. <laughs> Um, and it, he used to have the the leather flat cap as well. Uh, that like that was a, a a look. That was a look. That late nineteen ninety nine, early two thousand era. Yeah, or when he was doing the full, uh, like the his Conan the Destroyer looks and things like that. Like there's a man who, Jesus Christ, his children are going to grow up mortified by the photos. Of don't, don't forget where <laughs> what he, he's dressed up. As. He thought he was Harley Race for six months in two thousand three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like it's a shame ring gear isn't in the look because we could talk for a while about the Triple H biker shorts era oh god <laughs> oh god but we'll move on before we go too deep in the hole here Travis Dykes messages in and said like if if WCW actually went and created a proper martial arts division like what would that look like hmm I think he- and it's something that I, I don't think like do you know western wrestling was barely able for to comprehend or be entertained by cruiserweight wrestling yeah. at this point so like i definitely think i definitely think there would have been 
it would have been a rough period to try and get audiences to adjust to it. I think, at least, like when you have to think of the, the era, like nineteen ninety eight. So the UFC wasn't; it was around and it wasn't as big as it would become. Obviously, so like yeah. you would have a hard time using the term martial arts division. Yeah, in that era, but yeah, like what, I think at that stage, martial arts is just people are thinking like Jean Claude Van Damme yeah. films, yeah, or Bruce Lee movies, and just like um, yeah. but yeah, like got. I think the the way you would go about it if you were doing it at that time would be that kind of like hard hitting like the um like you would have a Saturn and a Eugene Nagata just go out there for ten minutes and just beat the fuck out of each other. Yeah, yeah, that's what you would do. Like in the hands of WCW, I I wouldn't trust it to be anything above a brawl for all level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like long term, if it was something you committed with and stuck with and educated the audience, it could have been good. Because again, like you pointed out there, just two names, Eugene Nagata and Perry Saturn. Like you have guys on the roster who would fit in very well. Uh, Travis mentions the likes of a Benoit yep. as well. Uh, and even a Raven, I think, like as a kind of dirty street brawler, he mentions here would be a, like a good mm. choice. Um, you, you, he mentions DDP here. Like I'm not necessarily, I, I don't know. I it'd be something I'd be willing for everybody to take a shot at it. Like um, you could imagine, like um, like a Jerry Flynn, like Tank Abbott would come in in a couple of years' time. Yeah, um, Glacier. I mean, he invented the super kick. <laughs> he did. <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> um. I think it's one of those things, yeah, like, if this was, if it was 10 years later, even, where there's a bit more understanding mm-hmm. of uh, Japanese wrestling in the States and Punk Race and, like, you know, just short of 10 years after this is, like, the explosion of UFC mm-hmm. and of Pride as well. You, I think then it's more palatable. You could have easily gone out and got, like, somebody from the UFC, like, I don't know, like, like a Stefan Bonner after he, like, bombed out of the UFC... If he had to come yeah. in, like, he could have easily, like, fucking made a difference in a martial arts division, say, in a wrestling company. Yeah. I feel like if they had actually gone with it, we'd be sitting here seeing uh, an episode of, say, Dark Side of the Ring about it, saying, like, it was ahead of its time. Mm. You know? Like, it just arrived too soon. Um, but the, the I think the looming presence across the aisle of Brawl for All just would give me pause about how successful it could possibly be. Now, I know there was myriad problems with Brawl for All uh, that had nothing to do with the style. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I mean, there's a hundred Brawl for All podcasts out there. We yeah, don't we're not, we're not need to get, get into that, that right now. Yeah. Um, Dave O'Neill asks us, so with us nearly coming to the end of our first year of Thunder, which is a chilling thought, and uh, not only because we've already done a year of Thunder, but because there are more than one year left. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Uh, he wants to know, like, um, if 1998 so far, as we've gone through it, is an accurate representation of what WCW could be and what it would be as well, which I think are two very distinct questions. Yeah. Like, it, I think it's 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 not really an accurate, accurate description of what WCW would be because... This show has had genuine, like, good moments. Now, maybe that's the pay-per-views kind of blending in with my memories, but, like, yeah. I can't say that these, what, 10 months have been bad. Mm. There has been bad shows. Yeah, a lot of bad matches. But I can't say that I haven't enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I think it's an excellent question. And I, the way I would think about it is, I, I think there's definitely stuff we've pinpointed about how what it could have been. Mm-hmm. You know, 
um, whether it's Paige or Jericho yeah. or all these guys they, they should have strapped the rocket to or pushed a bit harder it's, Saturn it, it, you know, it's like, like we, we can pinpoint moments where they had somebody in the palm of their hands and they just had to like just say right go this is your time yeah I think when I think about is it a good indication of what WCW would be, what I would be inclined to say is um, it's it's kind of like, I, I think what, um, what Alvarez and Reynolds say in Death of WCW is that they were, when wrestling is hot, no matter what you do, it will stay hot. But when it's cold, nothing you can do will bring it back. And even in the hottest periods of most companies you could pick out of your head, there is still mistakes and blown opportunities and what ifs here or there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like even in say like people absolutely, and I am included, love that WWF run from like mid 99 to WrestleMania 17. But if we were to review that week on week, we would see, oh, this guy, like, you know, we're obviously in the camp that, Jericho should have been an absolute megastar in WWF years and years before they actually gave him a proper world title mm-hmm. run. But anyway, um, what I would say, it's kind of like, right, Lee, <laughs> this might be a weird one. Do you know, like, um, when you're in school and you're reading uh, in English, you're reading things like Pride and Prejudice, like period fiction books. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be a theme in those kind of books or Wuthering Heights or things like that. If you're reading chapter two, and someone coughs, you're just like, oh, they're going to fucking die. <laughs> you know? It's like, guaranteed. Like, there's no... I, at this period of time, there was no such thing as subtlety. Like, if a writer... If an author was going to draw your attention to a character coughing, it's like, ah, oh, that's the old consumption anyway. They're going to fucking kick the bucket soon. <laughs> so, whereas no individual moment I think we've had in 1998 has created an irreversible decline yet... Because they haven't beaten Goldberg yet. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> but there, there's a moment on the horizon that we yeah. all know is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask us this question in a few months, we might have a different answer. What I will say is, I think if we were sitting in 1998, and I think this bears out when you read back on what people were thinking and, and what Dave was writing in 1998, nobody on this earth would have said, three years later, this company is dead. You know? Mm-hmm. It, there are foreboding signs that we can see much clearer with the benefit of hindsight but I don't think at the time you would have gone oh fuck this thing has already gone off the cliff you would have said look they're fucking up things I prefer if they did it this way but they're still on fire I'll tell you what I'll give you the choice you have a choice you have to watch 52 weeks of Thunder from 1998 or you watch 52 weeks of Raw from 2020 oh it's Thunder hands down it's thunder hands down all day long. <laughs> um, and, you know, part of that might be nostalgia. <laughs> um, who knows? But, yeah, there's like Raw is at a particular nadir now. Mm-hmm. And like I can say with full confidence that I don't believe three years from now WWE will show her. Yeah. But <laughs> tr- uh, yeah. I, I, I say with reasonable amount of confidence. But, you know, three years from now, I could say, like, not necessarily if the company has shuttered, but, like, if disastrous things have happened, there have been massive layoffs, you know, um, 
and like a mass exodus of talent that were being booked for too long i can go well look you know 2020 it was quite apparent that's where the chinks in the armor were 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 happening big time um yeah it's an interesting thing um to try and to try and remove your the the benefit of hindsight from that kind of a discussion um it's one that's worth thinking about mm-hmm. so i think commonly agreed upon 1999 is the year where the irreversible bad decisions are happening thick and fast yeah like li- literally um, fucking show on show there are just nails in the coffin yeah uh next up tim Emmel, uh asks us with Halloween Havoc being revived by NXT, which I could not uh, believe my bastards. eyes when I saw Absolute that. Absolute bastards. Uh, what other one would you like to see back None. now? You know, a cynic, uh, an accurate cynic would say, oh, they obviously had to use Halloween Havoc uh, or the rights might have been purchased by another company, mm-hmm. for example. Kind of like they did when wasn't Cody sniffing around Starcade, yep. And that's why they did a Starcade. Um, So what... Um, now let's uh, let's do this and um, in this hypothetical situation Lee let's say COVID isn't a thing we have live crowds and everything okay. so uh, any WCW event you'd like back Spring Stampede Sp- Spring Stampede is a good one um, it's a strong one um, the, <laughs> the one I was thinking was either Bash at the Beach because I'm just not yeah. I'm just not a SummerSlam guy anymore and I think like even if you don't want to do it main roster I think like a big outdoor summer spectacular for mm-hmm. NXT would be pretty cool and I, I, I'm just thinking for AEW I couldn't give a fuck about WWE <laughs> yeah or yeah or AEW I suppose we don't have to confine it to WWF yeah or WWE even um, or Spring Break Nitro oh look I have no doubt in my mind that once fans are allowed back yeah. Whether it's 2021 or 2022 at this stage, yeah. that AEW are going to do a spring break episode. Yeah. Well, look, they've already done the Jericho Cruise one mm-hmm. and they did their Bash at the Beach. And I think, like, both of them were nice palate cleansers. Uh, and I think something that they've, I think they've, they haven't perfected it yet, but I think they've realized the benefit of because they only have four pay per views a year. If every so often you're building to an especially big themed mm-hmm. dynamite is is a pretty cool idea so yeah having a spring break one or something like that i really think it like it probably doesn't go in the uh the you know revive wcw concepts column but like i would love once a year if they did a one night tournament what like you know like, like a uh oh battle ball yeah, like a battle bowl, you know, or like you, you think about the, the concepts WWF were doing around this time as well, like the deadly game. Mm. So, you know, some some one night thing, because like I know people say tournaments don't necessarily do well in terms of buy rates, but like a one night tournament on TV. Like I remember people, I, I don't I don't have the ratings information on hand, but I remember me and my mates were super into the gold rush tournament on Raw. <laughs> <laughs> like super and not just because of the one decapitation super kick. I was just going to say is that just because you were super into Shelton Benjamin and we all thought he but was going to be the one to win it yeah I think part of it is because um, I, I would trust it definitely more with AEW because there there is I just I I relish the opportunity for TV wrestling to have stakes uh, uh, do you know what because do you know what I do think they could do like a three hour special dynamite and it's just a tournament for say the fucking TNT title or something. 
Mm-hmm. I definitely think they could do that. Yeah. Or like you could even do a, a thing where it's like it's a tournament that's um, it's like it's one night on dynamite and there's like a wild card entry that is decided on dark the previous night. Mm. You know what I mean? So you have like people maybe you're doing qualifiers in the build up to it to, to build up uh, 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 like some hype for it. And then on the dark before to, to add some extra spice to things you have this your last chance saloon people who didn't qualify for the tournament there's like a battle royal or or something like that you know and then you do it there's definitely scope and you know it could be months before huge live crowds are back um, and it probably will be like at least a year to get back to the original question i think wwe yeah. have just bastardized so many wcw shows yeah they didn't this is the thing that galled me about starcade so much is like they absolutely didn't need a starcade no. Like, of all the WCW pay-per-views to bring back. You know what I mean? Like, that's one that AEW could have absolutely run with Starcade. Mm-hmm. Um, as they're... Because they don't have the big established... They, WWE already have the big four. You know what I mean? And they fucking bastardized those as well. Like, it's, it's a fucking house show on the Carolinas just because... Yeah. You know. And it... it look, uh, it's that kind of fucking nastiness that I think has torn a lot of people against... WWE in the last couple of years like that that blatant nastiness of just we're doing this so that so that other people can't Um, yeah but like and another related matter make sure to tune into NXT Wednesday (laughs) (laughs) but like um, the Great American Bash they did that one for fucking years and just did nothing with it changed it to the bash Mm. Um, although they did have that legendary um, elevated liver enzymes show Really had to yeah. change the whole card. That was a great American bash. <laughs> yes, <laughs> legendary. Great American bash, I believe, was also the the site of uh, one of the uh, more lengthy Ron Simmons skits that I remember back when they were doing the Ron Simmons damn thing all the time. It was. The, did you remember the one where um, Matt Hardy was leering at Candace Michelle while she was like drinking a bottle of water seductively? <laughs> right. Have you ever seen this? It's right. It's, especially with 2020 eyes, it is a very gross male gazy thing. But the one thing worth looking back on is it is an Oscar winning acting job from Matt Hardy. I'm, I'm, like, I'm going to go look it up because I don't remember it. It's like it cuts to her and she'll be doing and she's in slow motion and there's like smooth jazz playing. And then it cuts back to Matt and Matt's got a face. <laughs> I can't even put words to it. Um, no, I, I remember. No, do you know what he looks like? He looks like a like a cartoon character that's just seen a large ham. <laughs> you know, you know that kind of thing. Where <laughs> he's just like kind of nodding away, he, and he's like a bit sweaty. He, he is the large ham in this case. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Oh I, God, that's summer of Ron Simmons skits. I, rem- I remember the, uh, the the DX and Candace Michelle skits. All right, but yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, don't remember that particular one. Um, also, it was a Great American Bash where. One Paul Barrow was buried in concrete. He was. God, God, <laughs> a man was murdered on air. <laughs> After his man won a match. Yeah. <laughs> to free him, and he just said, "Nah, fuck it." <laughs> God, it, this company turned into trash. Really, isn't a recent thing. No, is it? it's really not. Um, 
Our final question comes from our, our good friend of the show, Mark Monkey Buckles, uh, on Twitter. Uh, crossing over with Dave's other wrestling podcast outing from this week. Thanks for the plug there, Mark. Uh, which G1 Climax 30 competitor would you want to hop in a time machine and turn up on Thunder? This is a good question, and it's a tough one because of, uh, among other things, WCW's history of how they treated mm-hmm. Asian wrestlers. <laughs> Well, there's a way you'd get around that by picking a certain person. Go. Osprey. Yeah. But, you know, you may not want to. I Do you know who would actually clean up uh, on Thunder is probably Jeff Cobb. Do you know what? I didn't even think of him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, but I watched see, the whole G1 and I barely thought of him. See, God bless him. <laughs> I'd be worried if they put him in a fucking tag team with... Uh, Rat, and make yeah. him make him have fucking Kona rat or something. Yeah. <laughs> or oh god, they get wind he was Hawaiian and like yeah. put him in some sort of like uh, hula skirt tag team with Prince Ikea. Um, to be something like equally insensitive. Oh, sorry, it, it was Brian. Sorry, I'm thinking it was Brian Adams that was um, Crush. So you could have like Brian Adams, Kona Brian Adams, Jeff Cobb, <laughs> and, and Prince Ikea. Just no, I just love now the idea of Jeff Cobb being in chronic. <laughs> Bucket. Oh god. That's great stuff. Um in the no, the other one I was thinking I think the you know, for, for anyone who watched the tournament and loved the tournament, like I just I, I almost for the I would love to see how they'd ruin him. The default answer is Shingo Takagi. Because, like, for intelligent wrestling minds, that guy is a can't miss. Mm-hmm. But there's also the back of your brain going, they absolutely would miss on him. It, it almost feels like cheating to give them Shingo. Yeah. Um, Similarly also, Kota Ibushi. They would not know what the fuck to do oh, with Kota no, Ibushi. Oh, no, they wouldn't. Jesus, I don't think Kota <laughs> Ibushi would know what to do if he showed up in 1998 WCW. I know, I know. Oh, but uh, yeah, thanks to all the Thunder Buddies for that. That was great. That really uh, brought back some of the energy uh, before we, we dive into this show. Um, before we do so, though, Lee, it's time for the Beers of Thunder. And uh, what have you got holstered for this week's appearance? Well, Dave, I'm holding something I never thought I'd hold in my hands. It's a Galway hooker. <laughs> Here he is. <laughs> that is, in fact, the name of the company. It's Galway Hooker Irish Stout. And yeah, I love that you couldn't let that hang in the air too long. Disclaimer. Uh. <laughs> look, it's a lockdown. It's fucking look. There's no yeah. no way it was possible. And I'm not and I'm not a rugby player out. either, so you know, that's true that now. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, no, this but is their stout. Yeah, it's a stout. I was looking around today in uh in the off license and I this just caught my eye because again the name. What a name. Mm. Um and then Stout, and you know, I fucking love my stouts, so I had yes, to say, try this out, and very nice. It's not quite on the Guinness level of smooth, but this is definitely something I'd get again. Good stuff. I have gone with, um, I've tried to like out Irish beer myself. Um, I can't remember what the uh, the one was a couple of weeks ago, but this one is called Asher Look It. <laughs> it's not the one you had. No, it? no, no, it wasn't. It was the other one. You told us about Asher Lucas. 
because I had yeah I, this one is definitely a different one because the 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 one I had a couple of weeks ago was a blue can. Okay, what was the other one called? One, the other one was um, it's something like it's another Irish turn of phrase. I remember that. Yeah, no, and you told um, you told us the uh, the other one was called Asher Lookit. Yeah, so I'm having the Asher Lookit now from St. Mel's Brewing Company. What, what's the actual description just, of it? Well, it's described as a rich, malty springbok lager. Um, and if I may read from the can, Lee, uh, based in Ireland's heartland, Longford. Oh, God, something good coming out of Longford. Hmm. That can't be true. Uh, St. Mel's Independent Brewing Company applied decades of brewing experience to create a range of beers for drinkers who demand and deserve authentic, flavoursome, small-batch brews. So there you go. A lightly toasted aroma is followed by a rich malty flavour, complemented by a subtle, noble hop bitterness. Noble? It, wait till you did, I've never... <laughs> this is great. Asher Lookit pairs well with pork sausages, nutty cheeses <laughs> like Gruyere, and cheese and ham toasties. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There is no fucking way there's a place in Longford that sells Gruyere. <laughs> Well, we're just going to have to disprove that with a trip to the brewery when things are back to normal. (laughs) Anyway, look, we've held it off long enough. It's Thunder, episode 34, October 1st, 1998. It is the second half of a double shot in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, Our usual commentary team is in place and we are being told at the top of the show that we are going to have a big time world title bout uh, with Goldberg versus Raven, which, you know, in isolation, that would be cool. That would be a nice little pay-per-view match. I think we got the last one of those for the US title on... Nitro. Was that the paper? It was Nitro, yeah. the night after um, Raven beat DDP. That is, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because the the belt changed hands Mm -hmm. and then changed hands again. WCW. <laughs> now, to be uh, fair, that was a good double title. Yeah, it was. It was, in fairness. Um, Raven was on commentary last week, as you might remember, during the Canyon match against Goldberg, and no. now it's his turn. Um, <laughs> how How is Goldberg going to fare under Raven's rule? Seems to be the their approach this week to try and sow doubt that Goldberg mightn't just steamroll uh, Until, Raven. that is their, their approach, until Lee Marshall just goes, well, he beat him before. <laughs> yeah yeah good old lee marshall just like bringing things back down to earth which he does a couple of times on this show um ddp starts the show coming out in an absolutely like who is doing the fonts on these shirts in 1998 um because i was reminded later on this show uh about the dean malenko one uh, and out comes ddp in a shirt that just says bang on it in yeah it does letters it is <laughs> yeah it's oh god um, I mean Dave who what you know male in 1998 didn't want to walk around with a t-shirt that just said bang yeah um, and then we have I'll tell you what right I love him I love him to bits but Tony Schiavone on this show he could not have made it more obvious that they were taping the commentary separately from this show because there may be three or four occasions on this show where he jumps the gun and starts talking about something that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Did you notice this? No. And a couple of times, Brain just buries him for it. So Tony says, is that Lodi speaking? Then maybe two seconds passes and then Lodi starts speaking. Okay, and I, then, I noticed that one, but then I just thought, oh, well, maybe I just missed the start of Lodi talking. Nope, I rewound it. Uh, and Brain buries him immediately by just going, well, you have a trained ear. <laughs> uh, 
Lodi is coming out finally uh, after that with a, a sign that says, you are getting banged. Uh, Lodi says Paige ruined his life for bringing Saturn to WCW and he broke up the flock. So tonight it's his turn to ruin Paige's life by taking his title shot. And I love the, the absolute confidence of the man saying that he'd be the next world's heavyweight champion. Uh, Paige hits a Pescada uh, on top of him. Uh, and then we have DDP versus Lodi. How excited were you for this one? I'm more interested in how DDP has become the top recruiter in WCW. Yeah, it's something that's alluded to um, several times on this show. Like, he, he's brought in Goldberg. He brought this person. He's brought yeah. in Saturn. Like, where, where, where's now, he giving out these contracts? Yeah, I wonder the fine line between people he's actually brought in and people he was friendly with who, after the fact, he took credit for. Or is there, like, a, a huge <laughs> amount of people who he's brought into WCW who didn't pan out, but he just doesn't talk about them? Yeah, like, is, is the fucking... The power plant just full of people that are mates with DDP from fucking the nightclub scene in Florida, like, and it just happens that Goldberg and fucking Saturn worked out. It's just I don't know. Like, <laughs> like just... in two thousand, are we getting told that DDP brought in Mike Sanders? <laughs> How dare you slag the above average one, my friend? I, I wasn't. I wasn't slagging. I, I, listen. <laughs> I'm going to save my Mike Sanders takes for four years from now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tune in and get subscribed in advance, guys. Um, I love, as Lodi's getting into the ring, uh, Brain slags off the company backhandedly. says, that's walking proof. We have too many microphones out here. We just give them to anyone. <laughs> uh, Lodi very briefly gains the upper hand on Paige before Paige just floors him with a discus lariat. Hits like this um, gut wrench, gut buster combo that looked kind of half awkward, half awesome. I liked it. Uh, hits a re- rebound diamond cutter for the win. And I appreciate Lee Marshall had a great call when he does this saying, like a billiard shot, one off the cushion. He does that. <laughs> <When> he co- <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so, I love it. I think he even says that. He's like, I love that billiard shot diamond cutter. Yeah, <laughs> um, great. I have to say, I did notice when DDP goes to uh, celebrate in the crowd, there's a sign, mm. and now this this is now canon, and I'm, I have to apologize to the person this sign is about, but there's a sign okay. that says, Frankie's ribs suck. And I have to say, mm. if it's on a sign, it's fact. Yeah, that is that is the law of the land, my friend. Um, and Brain's call on the replay here to end the segment is saying he got the one, two, three on the man in the rubber pants. Sums it all up. <laughs> and I tell you what, if, next, if, if you didn't know uh, this show was taped a week in advance, this next match tells you all you need to know. Yeah, the the harbinger of a taped show. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for your bi-weekly Enos alert. <laughs> We have Mike Enos versus Jerry Flynn. Jerry Flynn, I should specify again. Jerry Flynn's look here, Lee. We were talking about fashion at the top of this show. It's something else. Big mullet, hairy chest, baggy black pants, a pair of red and black boots. Can I venture um, a suggestion to you, Lee? Of course you can. That we add him 
to my once heralded idea of a Russian nesting doll faction of uh, <laughs> Steve Blackman, Ron Reese, and now in the middle, <laughs> Jerry Flynn. You cut that guy's hair, you keep those pants as they are, and that's like a slightly larger Steve Blackman or a slightly smaller Reese. I think I think that would work. Yeah. I'm... I'd say just give us the book somewhere, guys. <laughs> Well, did, did, look. All I'm saying is, if I was running the WWE Network, I absolutely would have commissioned that Steve Blackman bounty hunter show, oh, and I would have had no regrets. What a damn shame that never came to be. Oh my well, god. Well, do you know what what Jerry Flynn's friends call him? Tell me, JF. JF. That's what that that that's it. He's now JF. <laughs> um. Mike Enos, if it wasn't already obvious, as Lee said, by the presence of Mike Enos, that this is a tape show. The fact that he gets the most piped-in pop of all time. <laughs> what a superstar. <laughs> there was, like, I was typing in uh, Jerry Flynn's wardrobe, and I heard this pop. I looked up, I saw Mike Enos, and immediately I was like, I'm not, bu- I'm not even remotely buying this Feel Alive pop. Sorry, Mike. Um... Jerry starts off wearing down Enos in the corner. Uh, Flynn hit that move. I, I forgot he does that, where he does that kind of running spin kick into the corner mm-hmm. where in one movement he vaults himself over the ropes, which is just like, like for a man his size. It is impressive. It's so impressive. It's so impressive. Like, unfortunately, there's almost nothing else about his moveset that is impressive to me, but he's got that one and he's pretty good at it. Um, Enos starts, he, he, he starts a mini comeback in the middle of this match. And like, you know, you always want a bit of kind of, oh my God, an impactful momentum changing move. Nah, just a double axe handle uh, to a man on the ground is, is what uh, starts off this little comeback. Real, real baby face move, isn't it? Yeah. And then like a horrendous bump off a clothesline from Flynn. Um, I was kind of trying to reflect on, you know, we said about like one of Enos's major flaws that stops him from kind of kicking on a bit is you're imitating Scott Steiner and they've already got a Scott Steiner. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always a big problem. The other thing I, I have noted about him, and I'm sure we're going to get many opportunities to reflect on Mike Enos as we watch these tape thunders over the next while. But um, the thing that he's missing, I, I suppose you could sum it up uh, as snap. Like, I, I'm coming in from a weekend of watching G1, and I'm like, this guy has absolutely... I don't feel impact or urgency about anything he does. You know, like, you compare him to the guy he seems to be clearly emulating in Scott Steiner. It's like, Scott Steiner suplexes you. He fucking suplexes you. Like, he hits you, and he probably really hits you. <laughs> you know? Like, that guy looks like he's doing some, like, dangerous power moves on a guy, whether it's a shoot or not. Um, And, like, you look at Enos and everything looks cushioned. It looks hesitant. It just doesn't have that kind of, like, it's not crisp. You know what I mean? To me, it's presence. He just doesn't have presence. He doesn't have that kind of, like you say, like, everything he does just looks... Eh. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. do you know what it, it's Instead fine of, and it's it it's like technically good I'm sure yeah I just don't care Instead of trying to carry himself like a star or, or have that ring presence like a Scott Steiner does or something like that, he's carrying himself in the ring like a guy who's really trying hard to remember what's next yeah that that's it you know? like he's like a fucking uh, uh, performance center geek basically yeah. 
Um, Flynn regains the momentum until he gets caught in one of Enos's impressive moves, and that's the capture power slam, which on a guy this big, again, very impressive. Uh, but then the crowd are up because, like, and, you know, much as we say we're not really into Jerry Flynn and Mike Enos is Mike Enos, I always, when something like this in particular, like, there's run-ins all the time, but when it's for something like this, I feel particularly bad because Drunk Scott Hall is here. And, like, these guys weren't having a bad match. It was just, like, a perfectly serviceable match for their level. Mm -hmm. And, like, the whole... The the whole match just serves to further the Scott Hall storyline. It does nothing for these two guys who look like absolute geeks. Um... He comes out and he says that he, again, Tony jumps the gun and said, oh, he's here for the survey. And then like five seconds passes and he does the survey. Um, Hall then, halfway through it, bops Flynn on the microphone for the DQ. He starts laughing at him. Uh, Enos squares up to Hall. Hall throws a drink in his face, hits him with an outsider edge, lays him out, looks like a dork. He gives Flynn one as well. And I'm not saying the two guys need to be going toe to toe with with Scott Hall, but like you just didn't have to do this. You could have waited till after the match was done. You, you know, I mean, you say they shouldn't go toe to toe with Scott Hall, but like, I, I hate saying this, but it's not Scott Hall, is it? It's it's this fucking no. drunk guy. Yeah, like well, that's the thing is like the inebriated. His life is falling off the rails. Scott Hall that they're putting forward in this story is still easily able to dispatch two large men that we're supposed to care about in the context of this match. Like, it completely deflates any work they could have done to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott just resumes his survey then. Like, you know, as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. And he just reiterates his promos that we've been seeing all month, where he says that, you know, he's got a lot of bosses. Kevin Nash isn't one of them. Kevin Nash can't tell him what to do. And they're going to meet on his terms, not Kevin's. And it's kind of like, oh, what does his terms mean? Uh, like whatever bit the match, just a terrible end. Yeah, just a fucking look. We we've said it already plenty of times. No time for this fucking Scott Hall gimmick. Um, yeah. and Vincent at the end gives him another drink out of fucking nowhere, and I think Vincent should be sacked for being an enabler. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um. Our next match is uh, Canyon versus Riggs. Uh, Riggs, who Canyon describes his pre-match pro- promo, I howled. Uh, he called him the unappreciative Cyclops. Best best line on the show. So good. Uh, yeah, the best non-Heenan line, because there's, there's a couple of Heenan lines that, that got me on this show as well, but this was great. Uh, Canyon tells him that like he just looks silly, uh, and that Raven is the one who made him who he is. Even the commentators are like, that guy was a tag team champion before yeah, he got involved. I had to say, and that, that's what I like about this this whole deluded canyon thing of just like, well, Raven made the flock and he made all these people. And it's just like, well, yeah. well no, Kidman's now cruiserweight champion. Saturn's never looked better. Yeah. Rig, Riggs was a tag team champion. Yeah. Like, Ron Reese is eight foot tall. Yeah, there are some times where the commentary undercuts uh, with a joke where it doesn't do a good service to the guy that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those occasions where, as you say, it makes perfect sense that like him and also Lodi are still d- just completely brainwashed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was happy with that. And again, a great line. Uh, <laughs> he goes to town on Canyon. Uh, Riggs does. Um and as the match is starting, Brain under his breath is saying, he looks like one tough pirate to me. Um, <laughs> he gets a near fall and he dumps Canyon outside, uh, who hasn't even gotten his jacket off because it's WCW. Um, more beating on Canyon. He goes to do the 10-punch uh, spot. 
Canyon hangs Riggs up on the turnbuckle to finally get the heat. Uh, Riggs makes a brief comeback, but Canyon goes for his top row Famouser, which he had already hit earlier in the match, and then he goes for it a second time, uh, which proved to be hubris, as he is caught in a powerbomb and eats a couple of lariats. Do, do you know what I love? I love that falling powerbomb. Yeah. It's always been one of my... like fucking, Nobody does it anymore. No. Remember Kane, Kane used it for a long time in uh, 2001, 2002-ish? Yeah. Bring it back. It should be one of those that, like, bring that, the the rolling Russian leg sweeps. Mm-hmm. We start developing our lists of things that wrestlers who might accidentally listen to our podcast should steal. <laughs> accidentally? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't blame them for not listening to this trash fire. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, chicken wing attempt uh, from Riggs with Canyon ducks and runs Riggs headfirst into the turnbuckle and then nails him with a flatliner for three. I thought that was a clever little finish. Where he just kind of ducks the head, mm-hmm. knows the positioning of Riggs's head, runs him into the turnbuckle, and then immediately uh, capitalizes with the flatliner. No kind of taunting or waiting around. Like, it just made sense. Um, so, yeah. Decent match, I think, is one of the better Riggs outings I've seen so far on the show. Yeah, I mean, look, Scotty Riggs isn't a bad wrestler. He is, like, that. that's a perfect role for him to be, to be, like, competent in the ring. Put someone over. There you go. That that's a nice little spot for him. Canyon, and again, this establishes Canyon as better than anyone else that was in the flock. And yeah. while like he's not a top guy, he's not even fucking like a top in the mid card guy. It's yeah. just like a good solid win. And next time fucking Canyon loses, you'll go. Ah, well, he's still, he's still mm. you know a decent wrestler. Um, we then have a pre-tape promo from Raven sitting in the, the like the catacombs of the building. Um, and I really like this, Lee, because it, like, it felt a little different. It was shot a little different to your typical backstage promo. Um, it felt very Raven. Um, and he told, like, again, another absorbing Raven promo, like, talking about he was six years old and he was told not to get attached to anything because life itself is fleeting. He said those words are going to be prophetic tonight and he hopes Goldberg hasn't gotten too attached to that 40 pounds of gold. That's a fucking heavy belt. <laughs> Well, I mean, what what what's the uh, NWA title? Was it the five pounds of gold or ten pounds of gold? Is it ten pounds of gold? Yeah. So I mean, I for don't. Them. I really don't think big gold is four times heavier than. No. <laughs> it's actually just like a very dense metal with a with a with a gold plate on the outside. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I thought this was pretty good, and like I I wish wrestling had got into this kind of shooting backstage segments like this, uh, sooner. You know, it reminds me of like not quite the same level, but do you remember when Impact was getting lauded a few years ago for like shooting their backstage segments completely differently? They felt like little mm-hmm. films um, and they did a lot to kind of uh, characterize. And, um, and it wasn't like they, did, like they didn't pretend that the camera, camera wasn't there. It wasn't like that fucking. Yeah. Oh, let, let's talk in private. And they went to a room and there's another camera right there. Like 100 percent. Yeah. Um, next up, sequel pay is out. Uh, I love Brain immediately going, "Hey, Riggs is back." There's <laughs> <laughs> so two great Brain lines here in a row because uh, Stagger Lee during these entrances says that he doubts Raven was told those things at six years old. Tony goes, "What were you told at six, Brain?" <laughs> Brain goes, "She told me to take her home by 11 <laughs> <laughs> I did crack up at that one. That that was uh, yeah. a very good one. And Tony's saying, "Oh, sorry, I asked." <laughs> Um, so the match is Cyclope versus Wrath 
Uh, Tony says everyone backstage is concerned about the rise of wrath, and I love that idea that everybody is sitting back watching the monitors quaking in their boots. Listen, I, I'm concerned at the rise of wrath. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, concern is accurate. Um, it's just one of those nights, Lee. This is where I started to notice it the most, and it just kind of goes on for the rest of the night. It's one of those nights where, partly because they're watching this on a monitor and not actually commentating live these commentators are not fucked talking about what's actually happening in the ring for pretty much the whole rest of the night. <laughs> they they care less than we do about this fucking show. But also, they're not really talking about anything. No. Like they're they're alluding to things. So you're kind of you're having to do detective work and piece this shit together like. And you know what? They well, don't show us any clips. There's no clips no, from the show. This my so here's what I think happened is that for some reason the production team fancied a long weekend. So they just put the whole show together and told them, right, tape your commentary over that. That's fine. And then just left it at that, you know, and on their shit production team would have gone in and cut in some Nitro segments. in between. We've seen it happen on some shows. For whatever reason, they just fancied the extra time off because they're talking during this match about stuff that's happening with Hogan, with Warrior, with Sting. They sort of explain later on that Brett has like, uh, it was a swerve and Brett is still with NWO Hollywood and he betrayed Sting in some way and the Wolfpack got beaten down. But they don't really go into it. You're kind of left to pull those pieces together and am I fuck watching a three hour Nitro to figure it out? Um, I'd fucking love if they recorded that before Nitro and then the script was fucking changed. No, it would be, oh, it would be so then. Not that it we'd would, ever know. No, God no. Um, Tony says he'll never trust Brett again. Uh, as for the match, like it's probably the one of the rest of these matches where I, I kind of can't blame them for not wanting to talk about it because mm-hmm. it's just your standard rat squash match, like r- lather, rinse, repeat. What, what, what did you think of uh, Mr. Rat's mean little face down the card cam? Yeah, and, and Tony's saying like, that's, that's that's him staring down the locker room or something like that, yeah. he said, putting everyone on notice. Um, then we have uh, Nostradamus Tony again as this, uh, so Wrath won with a meltdown. But as we go to the break, uh, Tony says something like, what's that sound? And then there's like a second or two second pause and then you hear Chucky laughing as we go to the break. So there's definitely either, like, either Tony is reading his run sheet and not paying attention to what's actually happening and saying things before they happen, or his audio is out of sync with everyone else's. And maybe I'm only thinking that because I have to deal with audio sync issues all the time editing podcasts, but it just <laughs> felt like he was just slightly ahead uh, a bunch of times, and I just couldn't stop noticing it as somebody they, who professionally does that. And they just couldn't be arse fixing it. Yeah, yeah. Because like um, you say, they obviously took a long weekend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're all off at the beach. Um, Tanae is here but sadly so is Chavo we have Chavo versus Kidman for the Cruiserweight title Um, I love this is another I love the relationship between these three commentators uh, and I love when they're kind of just ribbing each other because uh, Tanae accurately calls a Pescado and uh, (laughs) really passive aggressively Tony says yes thank you Mike for educating me every time (laughs) that that move happens (laughs) Because I think it doesn't Mike doesn't uh, Tanae say like oh that's one of your favorite moves isn't it Tony Yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then after he says Pescado yeah. brain just mutters I love that Italian ham 
<laughs> and I, I love the next bit as well because Tanae is like, no, 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 that's prosciutto. And Shivani is just so exasperated, he's just like, stop the two years. <laughs> and then it's like no commentary for about four seconds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they've absolutely hit the cough button there. Uh, this match follows the unsurprising pattern of being very enjoyable when Kidman is doing things and not as enjoyable when Chavo is doing things. It's funny um, how that works out, isn't it? Isn't it? It's almost like one of them is a bland piece of shit at this point. Um, getting toward the end of this match, there is a shoot and star press tease where the crowd... I, I like to believe, Lee, in my head canon, the crowd didn't cheer because the shoot and star press was about to happen. They were cheering because the match was about to end. Um... <laughs> and I certainly cheered because I wanted it to end. Uh, Chavo, I will say, towards the end of this match, right after the shoot and star press tease, uh, Chavo hits a, like a really cool superplex where he essentially mid superplex just tosses Kidman. Uh, that yeah. looked cool. You say cool, I say fucking terrifying. Oh yeah, oh look, terrifying for sure. And you know, some might say because of how green he is at this point that maybe he didn't necessarily mean to let him go as hard as he did. I was just but... gonna say I don't think he was supposed to release that early. <laughs> Now that we know, now we know both men are still alive to this day, it was pretty cool, <laughs> regardless of intent. Um, Kidman slips behind Chavo in the corner, hits a sit-out spinebuster, and then hits the shooting star press and wins uh, fairly by the numbers. Um, God, when I saw this next match, Lee. Oh, Dave. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you, you want to talk about blessed. We are blessed on this show. Because not only did we get Lodi in the opener, now we've got Lenny Lane. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, we've got Lenny Lane versus Van Hammer. And this is one of, I think, maybe two occasions on this show where I was like, I might just quit the show. Did, uh, <laughs> did, did you do what I did where you were fucking writing down Lenny Lane and then you heard the music and you're like, oh no, it can't be. Yeah, I was like, I recognise that. Why do I rec... Oh, no. Here he comes in his painted jeans. The most unhippy music. For the most unhippy man. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. It's such a... Like, him and that hippie gimmick, because his... Like, him being a huge, jacked-up dude who looks like he's from Motley Crue, <laughs> like, is just... It's such a square peg, round hole thing. Mm-hmm. It's very much... Bischoff had the idea for somebody to have a hippie gimmick and the first person he saw in the corridor catering that day was Van Hammer. Um, The only good thing, well, there's two good things to draw from this match. Firstly, the commentator's putting over how much of a student of the game DDP is. Um, You know, talking about him obsessively watching tape, which is, you know... Did he bring in Van Hammer as well? What? Yeah, he must have... (laughs) both of them um, and the other thing that was good about this was that it was in fact quick uh, Van Hammer won with what he calls the flashback which is an Alabama slammer and it looked terrible the worst Alabama slam you will ever see he nearly fell over uh, doing it it looked shite um, more Raven backstage stuff at a different angle in a different moodily lit corridor it's funny how it's funny how laughter and crying look the same without sound it's funny how raindrops and tears taste the same without pain it's also funny how no one truly uh, brings the fight to Goldberg that felt like it felt like borderline this I wonder did he watch like Blade Runner the previous night because it felt like Rutger Hauer's tears in the rain speech at the end of that movie um <laughs> He said the only do, you know, two do you know what I was going to say he does make a good point though with the only yeah. two people to trouble Goldberg mm-hmm. 
Art himself, himself and Saturn. Yeah, which is very accurate. Like, as much as, you know, Hogan fucking did the job for him, like, Hogan, like, I know he hit the fucking, the triple leg drops, but he'd never actually tried to pin Goldberg. So Goldberg yeah. was never actually in jeopardy. Yeah. Whereas those were the two guys, Saturn and and Gold, and uh, Raven, that at least seemed to briefly throw him off his game. Well, and, Mo- and Mongo in January, but... Yeah. And there's about 30 seconds in that match with Sting where people bought that Sting might beat him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then. Um, next up, Damien versus Disco. Oh, no, no, no. no, no oh, no, no, sorry. No, no, sorry. No, no, we have not. the... We have the Malenko <laughs> promo package. Fucking chilling. Heavily. Absolutely heavily. chilling. <laughs> I tell you, chilled I my mean, fucking interest in did, Dean Malenko. I know, I know it's spooky season, but my God. <laughs> you were hiding behind the couch at this one. His sinister music, repeated use of the awful graphic from his t-shirt, and then him just, like, monotonally pointing down the camera and saying something threatening that I can't remember. Heart of ice or some... You too can have eyes of ice. Eyes of ice, yeah, that was it. Just absolute bollocks. Like, God. Then we have Damien versus Disco. Uh, Damien is now at the top of my league table in WCW for most inappropriate theme music for, you know, what a guy looks versus what his theme music is. It's like a guy that looks like he's just walked out of a J-horror movie and he's fucking coming out here and like the music is like... (laughs) (laughs) What the shit is this? Um, And they do try in this brief time to put over... um, Damien's kind of without saying deathmatch or anything like that. They they talk about like some he's involved in some of the most bizarre and violent matches you'll ever hear um, or ever see. Um, I, I, I also did enjoy Damien. He, he's named Damien, and yeah, his his uh, trousers have six 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 all the way down the side. Hmm. Um. <laughs> it's all for you, Damien. Um. I enjoyed Damien taking the piss out of Disco's dancing. That was funny. Um. The match, though, very bland, back and forth. Disco hits the spike pile driver to win. I watched that, and it was... I don't know why it took me this long to think about it. It's like, for that character, a spike pile driver is such a weird finish. I mean, I I don't know about you, Dave, but, I mean, if you've ever been on a night out (laughs) after a long night of dancing... Yeah. If you ever want to end it with with a big exclamation, you think, pile driver... Yeah, damn straight. Like, you know, I'm out on the dance floor and, like, the Beastie Boys come on or something. I'm taking a pile driver bump by myself. I'm doing the full Rob Van Dam pile driver bump right in the middle of that dance floor. You better believe it. Um, after the bell, Disco starts laying the boots into Damien, but Hoovy's jorts come out to lay him out. Um, talk about sartorial choices. Do you know what? Oh, do you know what we forgot? What? Hoovy's uh, beefcake video package. What? Oh yeah. God, that was God, oh my god. Oh I'm getting like nam flashbacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to watching that him moodily hanging out around a gate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh god, this show was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, uh they mention I uh, this is a moment where I was like I would have given all the money in my pockets to have seen your face when the commentator said this, Lee. They said that, coming up, Conan versus Stevie Ray. <laughs> they did say that. 
And this was the other moment where I just nearly quit the show. <laughs> and let me tell you, that match did take place. <laughs> it certainly took place, didn't it? And yeah. yeah. We I didn't even have time to adjust to the fact it was happening because it happened next. Um, it's Stevie Ray with Vincent versus Conan. Again, this match is starting off with them alluding to Brett betraying Hollywood, uh, or betraying Sting, rejoining Hollywood, beating down the Wolfpack, and I wrote, but in all caps, but they will not show it. No. Too hot for TV. Too hot for TV, even though it was on TV. Um, the... Uh, like I have very little written out about this match. Um, I wrote this is dull piss. Uh, I wrote they they oh. were in a rear chin chin lock for a good eighty percent of the match. Yeah, I wrote awkward lumbering, all the usuals from these two. Mm-hmm. Uh, repeated interference from Vincent, which we you know we all love. Um, and then a slapjack is administered by by Stevie. He he uses his slapjacks. Uh, there there for was the one. DQ. There was one standout move, and it's Conan does. Was it when I fell asleep? <laughs> Conan does the X Factor, which mm-hmm. you know one of his moves, and Stevie, for for some apparent reason, takes the X Factor, and tumbles forward, <clears throat> and nearly takes Conan's fucking head off with his boot. <laughs> yeah, and that's got to be like that's got to overtake. In terms of worst X Factor bumps, you know the way Kane always takes bumps on his knees. On his knees, yeah, a hundred percent of the time. Like that's that's. I would much rather someone take a bump on their knees for my, my X Factor than nearly decapitate me. I I just don't understand why you take a flat face bump and then tumble forward. Yeah, it makes no sense. Look, sometimes just suckers gotta know. <laughs> what I gotta say. Um, He's so little, so little with his feet. Yeah, Nash, who yeah does educated feet, Stevie Ray. Um, Nash, who was referred to several times in the show as the big bad wolf, which I that fairly creepy. Um, he comes out to make a save. He gets the biggest reaction by far to this point of the show because he's an actual star and knows better than to actually compete on a tape thunder this week. Um, he hits jackknife on Vincent, and then the wolf pack is briefly standing tall. Uh, Hall makes an appearance on the apron doesn't really come out doesn't even necessarily come out of the shadows of the entranceway and the two of them just kind of stare each other down a little bit until the segment ends um, next up Lee it's main event time and this this is my first line I wrote about this segment and I think I know I think you know where I'm going with this mm-hmm. Buffer on a taped thunder are you fucking joking me that's nicer than what I wrote. Yeah, well, before we get to what you wrote, I just want to point out our question from earlier in the show, from Dave. This is one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is one of those, like, man, they really seem to hate money. <laughs> yeah, you, anyway. you didn't have to spend money on this. No! What did you write? Again, I was in the process of writing down what the match was and getting ready for the entrances. Yeah. And the show comes back on, and I hear him. <laughs> and my response is, fucking Buffer is here. Fuck you, you absolutely talentless shill. You're not even the best one in your fucking family. <laughs> the fact that this guy will be sticking ground for so much longer, I just want to see what level our venom gets to. <laughs> Especially because we're, we're always going to forget. 
that he's still there and he's always going to show up and we're always going to go mad about it. Like, he's going to be introducing fucking Road Warrior Animal in 2001 and I'm still going to be annoyed. Yeah. He, do you know what he is? He is a human Rickroll. It's like every time I turn on my TV and I go to a main event of a show and he just shows up, I'm like, oh, fuck, he got me again. Bastard. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, it's Raven versus Goldberg for the title. Raven is out with Canyon and with a table. Um, Paige is on commentary for this, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, he's putting over Goldberg huge during his entrance, but he talks uh, about how, again, like DDP is, you know, say about, say what you will about him, but he is a master of elevating both himself and whoever he's feuding with in the mm-hmm. same breath. And he says that like, you know, Goldberg is the man, all this, all that, but he is going to have to damn near kill me at Halloween Havoc to put me down. Excellent stuff. Um, as you might expect, all power from Goldberg to start. And I love this little bit of storytelling. And it kind of made me really wish that we got like a, a longer, proper pay-per-view caliber match from these two uh, instead. Because like I, the things Raven could do, you know, with his brain in this situation. There's a moment where like Goldberg is hitting all these power moves. But the the, the, kind of the moral of the story is Raven is smarter than your average bear Mm -hmm. and Goldberg goes to do like a rushing jumping high knee into the corner um and Raven thinks quick enough to duck it and it sends Goldberg crashing arse over tea kettle to the outside reminiscent of uh, Brock Lesnar at Extreme Rules (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you know what he wasn't very often yeah that's it Brock watching Goldberg tapes even though you wouldn't admit it um Raven then and this is again oh love this guy he senses he has the advantage Goldberg something went wrong in Goldberg's game plan he's on the outside he didn't plan to be he missed a knee he didn't plan to so he's on the attack straight away we're in Raven's world now we're outside the ring there's things here he can use as weaponry so he goes straight to work staying on Goldberg not giving him a minute's uh, breath he he yells over a canyon to set the table up <laughs> they, this is where it all goes pear-shaped then um so he sets up the table, he gets into the ring, he rebends off the ropes, goes to do a running dive to the outside, but Goldberg, speed of lightning, gets off the table and Raven crashes through the table himself. And then we have <laughs> poor DDP. Like again, a taped show. You couldn't have taken this incredibly awkward moment of commentary out. So he gets his wires crossed. Page, as this happens... He's talking about how quick Goldberg got off the table. And he goes, he's quick as a cat. And I don't mean Ernest the Cat Lad. Long pause. Not lad. Pause. Mm-hmm. What the heck is his name? Miller? Ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's made him look like an idiot. And absolutely buried Ernest the Cat Miller. And then, like, I can't remember whether it was Tony or who it was, kind of tried to make the save and go, well, look, you know, big cat Ernie Lad as well. He's, he's a quick guy for his size. Um, and Paige is like yeah damn straight and then it's kind of awkward again for a little while uh, Goldberg goes to spear but Raven again showing that intelligence that ring IQ pulls the ref in the way Canyon comes in with a chair and whacks Goldberg um, and then he eats an even flow Paige is down to the ring he's seen enough lays out Canyon Canyon or no, sorry, not Canyon sorry Goldberg reverses a second even flow attempt by rolling the dice shout out in advance to Reno Uh <laughs> This is Jack Hammer. Reno and, and Mike Sanders mentioned on this show. My God. Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> we just can't wait for that 2000, 2001 run. <laughs> oh my god. Do you remember for bonus points, Lee, what is uh, Mike Sanders' finish called? Oh, um... Uh, fuck, I can't. What was it? It's called the 4.0 because that is above average. <laughs> I was going to say 3.0. I was like, no, that's the tag team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Jackhammer and a win for Goldberg here and the show goes off the air with Paige and Bill staring each other down. Um, what did you think of this match before we wrap up the show? It was very short. Yeah. But I actually enjoyed it. It was like... It was, it was like Raven said. The only people that ever put her up to, to Goldberg seemed to have been Raven and Gold, and uh, Saturn. And again, Raven came close. He got the even flow on him. And yeah. he went for another one, and he fucking got close to getting it. Um, yeah. It's it's just a bit fucking sad to do it on a throwaway fucking tape thunder. That annoys me. Yeah. But, look, I'm glad we got to watch it. Yeah, exactly. It's better than nothing, I guess. Um... Interestingly, you know, when I do my notes uh, for Thunder every week, I, I do it in a numbered list just to see how many, because, you know, with WCW, like, there's chaotic, they're throwing so much stuff at you. So I always like to keep track of how many segments there are. And, um, like, normally I'm getting up into the mid to high 20s, sometimes breaking into the 30s, especially when we do a Knights of Nitro. Um, if you don't count the Chavo Kidman match, which went to a break as two segments, this whole show, start to finish, was only 13 segments. Was it 13? Yeah, if you include, because the, the two backstage promos and the, the Iceman, or the Eyes of Ice video, and then there's nine matches. Jesus. Yeah, so, like, really, this was a low-energy outing for World Championship Wrestling. Um, uh, thoughts on the show overall, Lee, and uh, your winners and losers as well, while I have you. It's weird. Like, I don't want to say it was a bad show, but it kind of was. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean I didn't enjoy it. Like I say, like the main event, while being short, is something like, yeah, I'd no problem with. Um, but yeah, it's a fucking. It's just one of them shows where I'm just like, I don't want to say it was bad, but yeah. it probably was. It, it's one of those. It wasn't actively bad to me. But it was classic second half of a double shot. Mm -hmm. It was classic WCW. We're in the middle of a pay-per-view cycle. We don't necessarily have a good idea to progress things this week. Let's just throw a show out there. It. I was down on it because it felt like they were down on it in terms of like effort and energy mm -hmm. into making this a good show. I, th I think a couple of segments, like a couple of fucking recap segments, maybe a couple of like sit down interviews, something yeah. would have made this just a little bit more interesting. I need to talk about how boring a show is or how uh, lost we are for context when we're actually asking for more pre-taped clips or more clips from Nitro to be installed. Whereas normally we're like, oh my God, they have so many of yeah. these fucking things. But like, it, it's just one of them shows. Like, I mean, we could we could have done without the Jerry Flynn Mike Enos fucking match. We could have done without... Yeah. Well, especially like that Jerry, that Jerry Flynn Mike Enos match was just a pretext to Scott Hall. Mm-hmm. Da Damien, no. Damien and Disco did really need to see that yeah um, and again you talk about like some of the people that are on this show like you could have absolutely what was our opener here D like our DDP opener Lodi. was DDP versus Lodi and like people are into DDP but like with that roster 
there are so many combinations of like hot openers you could have had. And especially if this is like the second half of a taping and people's energy levels are lagging, like put the cruiserweights out there or something like that and, and get a good little five, 10 minute match going to kick off your show. But look, like you said, it wasn't, I don't want to say it's actively bad. I don't want to say it's one of the worst mm -hmm. ones, but it was just kind of real middle of the pack, nothing to write home about kind yeah. of stuff. Um, winners, uh, I think Kidman, Kid, Kidman looked well as um, Cruiserweight Champ. I thought it was like a good solid defense for him. Mm -hmm. um, the path of Rat continues. Maybe he's a winner this week because it was just so low energy. Um, losers, I mean, Enos and fucking... Enos and poor Jerry Flynn. Yeah. Just absolute geeks. Jobbers, yeah. Just absolute Geeker jobbers. than a pair of Armstrongs in an outside segment. <laughs> just... Uh, what, about, yeah. what about you? Any particular winner or loser? Uh, I think Paige didn't come off great on commentary the way they kind of like didn't edit out his big blunder right at the end of the show in the segment everyone's going to pay the most attention to. Um, I think Tony had a really off night with his like whatever was going on with him and saying things before they happened. It made mm -hmm. it feel real weird. Um, uh, I think some of the people they throw out here like you said there are several wrestlers who are getting uh, a rep from us watching Thunder that oh this is clearly a show they don't care about mm -hmm. like and that really we should not be able to identify specific wrestlers who mostly show up on afterthought shows like a Mike Enos or like a Cyclope or like a Damien who I don't know if I've seen in a match since the Cruiserweight Battle Royal <laughs> where Jericho talked about someday he'll be able to afford his own mask yeah um so yeah those are the kind of guys i think that the people who are getting associated as the thunder b team i feel worst for um yeah uh our, our finish counter brought to you by ludwig borger gives us nine matches on this evening's program with seven clean finishes and two disqualifications so not a bad ratio for the lads here um thank you all for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder uh, from myself and Lee. Uh, check out, as I said before, my appearance on the Strong Style Story podcast with Jeff this week. As we teased on that show, we may be hearing the voice of Jeff in a little bit of a segment uh, coming up on the show in a few weeks because I think it's our very next set of tapings come from Indianapolis uh, that Jeff was actually at and he has teased me with some stories that I will not believe. Uh, from those tapings so I'm excited to hear about those does that, that in the mean meantime, I'm getting replaced like Chris no 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 well look you know saying your best behaviour uh, and we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> anyway everybody thanks for tuning in again uh, we'll see you in two weeks with another episode of Days of Thunder thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself Dave Ryan and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold you can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer we're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713 this has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the world cast through the years in the International House of Combat to Wrestling of the Present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you 
I can see through the stars inside